the impression that there's a couple of I know of one of who has had it and um, maybe some of you have it. I don't know, but um, we all know that um, it is close. We all know somebody who has had it. Um, I heard some of you talking about some priests that you know in your parishes that have had it. And um, it's something that uh, we certainly is in the forefront um, on this inauguration day, no matter what our political views are. It's a wonderful day for, for us and for our country, and we need to pray for all of those who have been elected to office. And I know one of the number one uh, concerns is this pandemic. So that being said, we're going to start in prayer. Um, what I like to do, uh, I've never taught any of you, I don't think. Is that right? Oh, you're all first time with me? Okay. <laughs> Um, I think you're in for a treat. I don't know. We'll see what you think. But one, <laughs> one of the things that I like to emphasize when we begin class, whether we're in a classroom at the seminary, whether in Dunwoody or in uh, Huntington uh, or Summers, doesn't matter, uh, no matter where we are, that uh, when we begin, that our focus is presence to the coursework and presence to each other. So as we begin in prayer, I'm going to just ask you to try your best to forget about everything that you left behind today and everything that you'll go back to when this class is over and to focus on being here, uh, present to the coursework and of course, present to each other. So we take just a moment remembering that we're always in, in God's presence. Let us pray. O clement, O loving, O sweet Mary, we, your children of every nation, turn to you in this pandemic. Our troubles are numerous, our fears are great. Grant that we may deposit them at your feet take refuge in your immaculate heart and obtain peace, healing, rescue, and timely help in all of our needs. You are our mother. Pray for us to your son. Amen. 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 All right. So to begin, I know we're a large group, but um, because we're, and a lot of you do know each other, but what I'd like to do is just briefly um, to, and I'll, I'll call you in, uh, well, let's see, because I can't see you all right now. Um, I, I just want you um, to introduce yourself by name, by diocese, parish. Um, if you're a deacon candidate, let us know, because some of you are, some of you aren't. And... Um, if you're a deacon candidate, you have no choice but to take this class. <laughs> if you're not a deacon candidate, maybe tell us why you chose to take this class. How's that sound? So, you know, we won't belabor it, but I think it's important that we try to get to know each other the best that we can. So um, why don't we start with uh, Dan Condon? Hi, everyone. 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 H
I'm going to just go down my roster. Dan, where are you? And, uh, Give us a little. Oh, can you? Me now? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Just a short introduction. Uh, nope, you're freezing up. Dan you know, Condon. Sorry. Kevin. Yeah. Hear me now? You're going yeah. in. And, you're going in and out, Dan. <laughs> That's just when you have a 12 Apple computer. <laughs> yeah, your internet is going in and out. So, all right, Dan. We, uh, Dan is from New York. <laughs> Archdiocese is in New York. <laughs> and he is, uh, there, you, there, Dan, go ahead. I, I think you're clear now. Try it. Uh, Dan Con, the conception at Stony Point. I'm a deacon. Okay, awesome. Uh, Daniel Cornell. Where are you? Yes, sir. Yes, please. Just uh, tell us where you're from. I'm from Manhattan. Manhattan. Okay. Yes. All right. And you are a deacon candidate as well for the Archdiocese of New York. Yes. Okay. Very good. Uh, Rock. Go ahead. Introduce yourself to the group. Rock. Yes. Uh, Rob Dizen says from the uh, Diocese of Bridgeport. Bridgeport. Yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, what's your parish? My parish is a uh, Saint Margaret Shrine, and in Bridgeport, and I'm a chicken candidate. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Doug Fitzmaurice, where are you? Over here. I'm um, Archdiocese of New York, mm -hmm. uh, Saint Patrick's Parish in Yorktown Heights. Uh, Deacon candidate. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Your internet is very clear. <laughs> okay. Okay, Chris Greer, here's your chance. <laughs> For the next 20 minutes, I'd like to. Uh, <laughs> Chris Greer, uh, Bridgeport, St. Luke Parish in Westport, Connecticut. And I did take the class because my advisor said this is the absolute best one we'll take in our entire four years. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bob Levy. Uh, Archdiocese of New York, Deacon Candidate, Holy Name of Jesus in Otisville, New York, up in Orange County. Yeah, you're the furthest north, I think. Uh, 10 minutes in PA, 10 minutes in Jersey. There you go. All right. Um, Bill Mayer. Bill Mayer. Yeah, uh, Bill Mayer. I'm from uh, the Diocese of Rockville Center. Yay, me too. <laughs> Although I, I work for the Diocese of Brooklyn, I work in ministry at the diocese, in the Diocese of Brooklyn, and um, not a uh, diaconate candidate. I'm going for my master's in theology. My parish in, Rockville, uh, in Diocese of Rockville Center is St. Anthony of Padua. It's in East Northport in Western Suffolk County. Great. You're very, very welcome to be with us. It's great. Uh, thank you. Just because my advisor yeah. advised me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Jim, Jim Ian. Hi, I'm from the Diocese of Bridgeport, and um, my parish is Assumption Parish in Westport, Connecticut, and I'm a master's degree student and a deacon candidate. 
Great. Very good. Thank you. Stephen Morganti. Hey, Dr. Oshinella. How uh, are you? Good. How are you? Archdiocese of New York, um, St. Patrick's in Yorktown Heights. Okay. You're the same as uh, Doug. Right. Yeah, this is the number one parish in the Archdiocese. I've heard, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, deacon candidate. Okay. Very good. All right. Uh, Stephen Nyer, from, you're from Long Island, right? Well, kind of. Kind of? Born, kind of. I was, I was born in Queens. I spent most of my life in Queens in the Diocese of Brooklyn, just across the Nassau County border. Uh, I'm a former student of the Huntington Seminary of the Immaculate Conception many, many years ago. Um, ah, okay. How long, how long ago, Stephen? Oh, I graduated um, almost 11 years ago from Huntington with a master's. Okay. And now I'm with the New York Oratory of St. Philip Neri in Rockland County in the Archdiocese. Okay. Uh, I live in Our Lady of the Sacred Heart Parish in Japan. So I'm sitting right now in uh, Japan at our parish. And... Um, our oratory is a very young oratory. For those of you in the Archdiocese, you may not have even heard of us, but uh, our oratory is 13 years old, and uh, it, it was founded by Slovaks. We have Slovaks, Indians, one person from the Democratic uh, Republic of the Congo, and I'm the first native-born American in the oratory of St. Philip Neri in New York. Wonderful. Now, where in New York is it? We're in Rockland County, in Japan. In Rockland County, yeah. got it. Okay. So, actually, I can see now I have... Uh, classmates in Rockland and Orange County. <laughs> exactly. Okay. That that's. I'm also an alum of the Seminary of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, 19, yeah. 1991. It it took me three semesters before I would stop getting lost on my way to class, everyone, because you had to drive there in the dark and the road was so windy I could never figure out where I was going. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but once you got there, it was great, right? Yes, then it was good. Uh, very good. Nice to meet you, Stephen. Nice to meet you all. It's great to have you here in class. Oh, great to Excellent. be here. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Paul Reisman. Did I say it right? Beautiful. Reisman. Okay, Paul. I am, uh, I am a uh, uh, diaconate candidate as well. I, am, uh, I live in the Archdiocese of New York, and I am a parishioner at our Lady of the Immaculate Conception and Assumption, and that's in Tuckahoe, New York, in Westchester County. Okay, not too far from Yonkers, right, Tuckahoe? I have a ten-minute drive. I'm probably the closest one to the seminary. You're probably one. Of, you're one of the lucky ones. We have an alum who's auditing a class who lives right across the street from the seminary. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that, right? That's great. Oh, Victoria, dear Victoria, where are you? Hi, guys. Hi. Tell yeah. us, introduce yourself to these gentlemen. I forget that I'm not going to become a deacon half of these classes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, when I'm a deacon. <laughs> um, but I'm very excited to be here. Um, I've been going to Our Lady of Immaculate Conception in Tuckahoe, and I love it. So I... I'm pretty sure that's going to be our new parish. I, I'm really, I'm closer to St. Peter, St. Paul, St. Ursula here, but we've gone for the last four or five months to Tuckahoe because it's just amazing. Welcome to our parish, Victoria. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Now, Victoria, you're relatively a new student. This Is, is this your third or fourth class? Third? Fourth class. Your fourth class. 
excellent. Very, very nice. Thank you. And thank you for being here. And uh, what made you decide to um, take this class? So um, I was advised <laughs> to take it. <laughs> and, um, ever since I saw it come out, I think it was last semester, I was like, that's definitely going to be one of the classes I have to take. I thought I would leave this like towards the end because I mm -hmm. thought it would be more applicable to my life and what I want, what I hope to do. Um, but God had it for me now. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Terrific. Great. Happy to have you. All right. How about Daniel Castro? Um, from the from New York, New York Archdiocese, uh, Deacon Candidate, uh, Home Parish is Most Holy Redeemer activity. This is part of the lower Lower East Side of uh, East Manhattan. Mm-hmm. All right. We we all love your your. Um, Screen picture, it's so beautiful. <laughs> but I, I would prefer to see you next time, hopefully. You will from my other laptop, you will. Beautiful, okay, great. All right, how about George? Schiffriller, is that right? That's correct. Ah, oh, very, very good. How are you, George? I'm good, I'm good. Um, good. The New York Archdiocese, um, I'm a deacon candidate also. I'm from St. John Visitation parish in Kingsbridge in the Bronx. All right. Great. Okay, let's see. Lucas, where are you? Lucas Garcia. Hi, I'm from uh, St. Anastasia in Harriman, New York, and I'm okay. also a deacon candidate. All right. So you're not too, how far away is Harriman? Uh, um, every, everybody that lives upstate is about an hour. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I'm not that familiar, but... Uh, okay. it's, it's Monroe. It's right next to Monroe. Monroe is the popular... Oh, okay. I know Monroe. Sure. Monroe, yes. Everybody knows Monroe, the Woodbury Commons. But uh, having, uh, our parish has the only Spanish uh, uh, mass in the area. Oh. And that's what I minister at. And it's a beautiful place to be buried at. Oh, yes? I have a beautiful cemetery if anybody's looking to buy property there. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for letting us know that. Uh, Vince. Vince Pia. Good evening, Dr. Eschenauer. How are you? I'm very well. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Um, I'm a deacon candidate from uh, Diocese of Bridgeport. Um, I live in Danbury, Connecticut, and mm -hmm. uh, my parish is St. Marguerite Bourgeois in Brookfield, Connecticut. Beautiful. Well, I'm really uh, happy to see you again, and uh, we're delighted you're in the class. All right, Dr. Anthony Reno, is that correct? Reno, right? Reno, but that's okay. <laughs> Reno? Yeah. Oh, no, it's not okay. I have to know. <laughs> so it's like R-A-I-N-O. Right. Yeah. All right. Listen, got to get it right. That's okay. All right, uh, and again, I understand, but I'm sorry we all can't see you. But give us an introduction. So, Archdiocese of New York, deacon candidate, and I am at St. John and St. Mary in Chappaqua, New York. All right, and you're currently at work? I am. Uh, okay. I am currently the executive chief of staff and the chief of ENT at 
the Bronx VA Medical Center and at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City. All right. Well, you know, you're on the front lines and we appreciate your your care that you're giving everybody and thank you uh, for everything that you're doing thank for, you. the, for people. Thank you. I have a daughter that's also on the front line. She works up in um, a community hospital in Connecticut. Uh, she lives in, where does she live? I always forget, New Britain. Uh, but I think her hospital is Bristol Community Hospital. But oh, she's okay. on the front lines as well. Yeah. So uh, I haven't seen her since, the, I won't let her in my house. I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> so I haven't seen her, but thank God for FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, good to have you in class, uh, Anthony. Thank you. Um, uh, Rafael Tavares, where are you? I'm here. Ah, there you are. With that, look at you with that beautiful background. I miss that, that uh, place. That's look at. Yeah. Uh, we all we all miss it. Yeah, we all miss it. Um, I'm from the Archdiocese of New York. Uh, my parish is Church of Saint Jude and. Inwood, uh, New York City, Upper Manhattan, and I'm a deacon candidate. All right. Well, very good. And thank you for giving us that nice reminder of our beautiful seminary. All right. Very good. And last but certainly not least, John Tremblay. Is that how you pronounce it, right? That's fine. Is it correct, though? Yes, yes. <laughs> nice to see you. How you are too. you? Great. Uh, Archdiocese no, no. of New York, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish, uh -huh. and I'm a deacon, deacon candidate. All right. And just uh, on a personal note, John, I haven't forgotten about you. You're in my file. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's going to work. I'd rather be... I'd rather be outside of the files, but but no, you're 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 in my you're you're like in my file. Uh, anyway, this is great. What a what a terrific group we have here. You know, most of you I've known for three years now, um, and I love that I finally have a chance to teach you. Um, uh, this is this is great. Let me just. Um, I'm going to see in a moment if I can share the screen, but I want to give you a little history of this course, okay? I used to teach this course as an elective uh, successfully for many, many years. Um, two years ago, we had a curriculum review um, of all of our degree programs. And in line with the curriculum review, we also met with the directors of all of the deacon programs from Rockville Center, Brooklyn, Bridgeport, and, and New York. Uh, we met with them. And one of the requests was that we have a course that is pastoral in nature. Because you all know that you're studying hardcore theology, right? And now what we're going to, and so anyway, the request was, uh, to have a course such as this. And the background of this course is a degree that we used to offer. It was the Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies. And this was a degree that originated out in the Huntington uh, campus, Seminary of the Immaculate Conception. And it was the degree that uh, deacon candidates got, going back to the early 2000s. 
and it was offered as well for non-deacon candidates. When the merger um, happened in 2012, when we had to do our applications for um, accreditation, we could no longer offer the Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies as a 39 credit course. So brief, the brief story, uh, the short story of this is that we, we offered it, but it had to be by accreditation standards, 48 credits. So we still offered it, but nobody was interested in 48 credits. So we, we probably had about three people who were in it. Um, and eventually um, with the accreditation agencies, we didn't have a viable student population for that degree. So we phased it out. And those three students who were in it moved into the Master of Arts in Theology, which is a 39 credit degree. So what we did at the time was we included this course on ministry that was one of the core requirements in that other degree. We included it as an elective. But uh, for the deacon candidates, uh, you know you don't have electives. Uh, there's no such thing as an elective for you all. Uh, whether you're in for credit for the master's degree or for audit for non-credit, you have to take this course. But that's just a brief history of how we arrived at it. Um, and and when I move forward tonight, you will get a sense of how it, it works together with your theology. All right. Um, so what I want to do, give me a moment to see if I can successfully share my screen. Okay. In this way, hold on one second because I don't want, I want it, I want to view it differently. Just give me a minute, okay? Okay, can you all see that? Can you see the PowerPoint? Yes. Okay, good. It's, it's, it, this is, uh, PowerPoint is, um, I like it because I don't have to write on the board. If we were in a classroom, I can just point to what I want to say, and you have a copy of it, and then I add commentary to it. So I think it'll work well. But anyway, this is the course, the Introduction to Pastoral Ministry, all right? And what I want to do first is briefly um, go through uh, the syllabus. You're all um, on your course page, you had a copy of the syllabus, right? And you saw it. I'm just, I'm not going to read through the whole thing. You can do that, but I just uh, uh, want to uh, give you some key highlights uh, from it. And then if you have any questions about it when I'm finished, it's important uh, because this is our, our roadmap. Uh, for the next uh, 14 weeks or so. So you have the course description here, right? And so the course, basically, this introduction to pastoral ministry will investigate theological, historical, and ecclesial foundations for pastoral ministry within the context, certainly, of the Roman Catholic Church. It will integrate, and integrate is a key word that you're going to hear 
uh, throughout this course, okay? So it will integrate the study of theology, which you've all had um, a lot of courses in theology, and pastoral practice from the perspective of both the ordained and the non-ordained. All right? Simple. Nice course description there. You have your intended student learning outcomes, and just briefly, the idea here is to deepen your understanding of ministry in the Catholic Church, okay? Um, to learn pastoral skills, all right, and practical theological knowledge to prepare you to serve the church in any capacity. Um, this, this can be applied to every single one of you uh, here whether you're going to be, God willing, a deacon or not, all right? Um, you will understand how to pass on Catholic faith as pastoral ministers uh, through the various ministries of the church. And we will, um, uh, as part of the course, as you can see on your syllabus, we will actually zero in on particular ministries to, to give the church's vision of the ministries, all right? Um, students should have to be able to do research and writing, but I'm gonna tell you right now, this is a gift to you. There's no research paper in this class uh, for anybody, credit or non-credit, all right? Um, we have a different kind of paper that you're going to write for me. And um, we'll talk about it in a moment. But um, this is one of the most important outcomes Students will be able to engage in theological reflection, and we will spend an entire class talking about theological reflection and the method uh, that is involved with good theological reflection. All right? You good so far? All right? You could just give me a thumbs up, but if you have a question, feel free, if I'm not looking at you, to just call out and say, I have a question. All right? Um, the assessment. Now, as you know, those of you who are deacon candidates for non-credit, which we call audit, but it's a bad word, and you've heard me say that, but that's how our grading system works. But if you're a deacon candidate, and there's a few of you who are deacon candidates in the class for non-credit, you must complete all assignments for assessment, okay? Um, so, in other words, everybody in this class is going to be doing the assessment. Uh, attendance and class participation is important. I'm going to give you 10 credits for it. Just number one, show up. Number two, participate in any discussion that we have. You're going to do, oh, that's a, you can cross out the four. I changed that. It's three, three-page integration papers. I, I used to do four, but last year, uh, when I taught the class, I cut it to three. So just um, make note of that. I'm sorry, I when I edited my PowerPoint, I missed that. So you're going to do three integration papers, and I'll explain integration paper, what I mean. And that's going to count for 40%. And then your final assessment for 50% of your grade is a written practicum and maybe an oral presentation. Uh, last year, I 
took the liberty of taking out the oral presentation on it. That works well when I have a smaller class, um, but the written practicum is on a particular aspect of ministry. And again, you don't um, need to worry about it now, but um, as we move maybe midway through the class, we'll do more discussion of that, all right? Um, you're going to email all your assignments to me at my email address in a Word document, not a PDF, in a Word, okay? And then I will give you my comments and return it to you uh, before the next class, okay? So far, so good. Any questions? Good. All right. Don't be shy. Writing resources, even though you don't... Um, have a research paper in this. I expect you to have good format. Um, okay, um, follow the guide of format. Um, if you're citing any of the texts, make sure that you use footnotes. Um, and I think you're all used to that because you've been in so many different classes. And if you're not used to it, when you turn in your first paper, um, I will um, make comments and corrections, and then you will learn how to do good format. I am, I am, have been an editor for publishing companies, and I like good format. The next thing here is just the grading scale. This is new. Um, this, has, this is our honor code. We just, um, the academic office with our director of accreditation, um, we met tirelessly for several months uh, putting this together. Uh, but this has to do, and I want you to take it seriously, it's also in the student handbook that's on the website under academics. But this is about academic integrity, um, and it's basically, we're a theological school, um, we are depending on all of you to work together to fulfill our mission. Uh, that's rooted in Catholic principles of honesty, integrity, and respect, um, and really care for the common good. So uh, what we're saying here is that we um, particularly uh, want you to carry out your assignments with um, honesty and uh, uh, at all costs, absolutely no plagiarism. Because if you plagiarize, we will find out and we will know that you are plagiarizing and we will call you to the task, all right? And then uh, course content policy we put in. Um, all of the content, uh, the notes that you have, the PowerPoint, uh, some of you I know uh, like to tape the classes um, and you certainly uh, should always ask permission if you wanna tape them. Um, if any of you are taping them, um, certainly uh, I am open to it, but this is the issue with this policy. It's for your own private use. And uh, that's important because um, I had an incident a few years ago where um, a student asked if he could take the class uh, so he could work in a study group uh, with other students in the class. And then he said, oh, this is so great. Uh, could I share this with parishioners in my parish? Absolutely inappropriate, no. What we are doing here is 
for us and not for anybody else. Um, so that's what that means, the course content, that this is um, the notes and any taping is only for your uh, use as students. Does that make sense? But this is new that we just put this in our policies and in writing only because we've had some a lot of uh, bad issues with this. All right, you good? All right, thanks for the thumbs up, I appreciate it. Uh, this is um, the, I mentioned before, uh, you're going to be doing three integration papers. Uh, integration paper is really reflection, but it's really based on what I referred to before as theological reflection. But as it says here on the slide, theological reflection is an integral part of pastoral theology which is what we're going to be engaged in. And that's the second part of the lesson. I'll explain what I mean by all of that. Theological reflection explores our personal and communal experience and puts it into dialogue with our religious heritage. In other words, one word to describe what I just said is connection. Making the connections with um, our own life our life in our parish, in our church, um, with our theological knowledge. How, what does it mean for, in other words, what does all your theolo theology courses, Christology, Trinity, uh, you name it, liturgy, what does it mean for a way of being in the world, number one, and what does it mean for our pastoral practice? All right, so that it's making the connections. And I think by the end of tonight's class, uh, that will make more sense to you because I'm going to elaborate on that. All right, so this uh, doing an integration paper is an activity that helps us to use our Catholic faith as a dependable resource as we search to discover meaning in our lives and in our particular ministry. All right, now a good example is that of that is the pandemic. You know, you have a lot of fear out there, uh, people who are um, just fear-driven and can find no meaning in it and just think that we should scratch off the year like it never happened. But that's, uh, from a Catholic perspective, using our religious heritage, that's not an attitude to have, I don't believe. Uh, my view is, and it has been since last March, how can we find meaning in this? What is the Lord trying to say to us in this? That's looking at it from the spiritual lens, all right? What does our, the word of God, our scripture, how does it help us to get through uh, these trials, uh, this trial of a pandemic? Okay, see, that's integration. And that's just one example um, of that, all right? So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, but I think it's really important because I think um, understanding our faith at a deeper level, because we've had this systematic study of theology, I really think it can help us to put anything into a better perspective and, and to view it differently and to find God's action and presence in the suffering, in the trial, in the affliction, whatever it can be. And if we can do that for ourselves, 
as good pastoral ministers, then we can do it for others. Okay? You good? Make sense? All right. Good. We're doing very well on time as well, because I will give you a break at some point. <laughs> All right? I'm not that organized as far as time. I'll just figure out when it, it makes sense to take a break, and then I'll give you 10 minutes to go refresh yourself. So here again, just to reiterate, an integration paper is not a research paper. Uh, however, as I said before, the standards for format applies. This type of paper engages the readings. And when I say the readings, I'm talking about your texts that we'll talk about in a minute and any other readings that uh, you might uh, want to do that are on the bibliography. But you're going to engage the readings, the course material, what we talk about in class, with theological reflection, all right? Uh, and here is just a little summary, and as I said, you will have one whole session on theological reflection, but here, just to get you started, so that uh, in a couple of weeks you'll do your first um, integration paper, um, this, on the slide you see it says, there is a clear method to this type of assignment. It allows you to take key points from each class and the course readings and then reflect and connect them both uh, with both your personal and pastoral experience. And this means that everybody's paper is going to look different, you know, because um, different things in the readings might strike uh, everyone differently. You're going to pick things out of your reading. You're going to pick things out of what's said in class, and then you're going to reflect on it. All right? And try, the key here is, is to connect it with the situation personally, if you want to share it, or, and very importantly for the course, um, with, uh, with your uh, activity in your parish, all right? So it's, it's a pretty flexible assignment. Um, I think most of you are involved in parish on some level uh, or in ministry on some level. Uh, so that's what I want you to connect, connect with. So this involves attention to the class materials, your inner feelings. You know, how, what is it striking within you to, to, to read or to hear about a particular topic that we're talking about? Also, your intuitions. You know, what is your intuition saying about this? What are you, the, your conviction about this? And your experience as, and I have it here because I've taught this class to so many different people. Last year, I had a priest in the class priest, deacon, lay ecclesial minister, parishioner, student of theology. So everybody, in other words, can apply uh, this type of method, okay? The assignment is meant to help you engage your life with theology. So in other words, you've all had courses, say in Christology, for example, you just don't want that, the that Christology textbook to go up on the shelf and your papers that you wrote to go in a file. You want that Christology, Christology to be integrated into your life. You see, that's what I'm getting at here. That any course that you take, 
Um, uh, and I think this is uh, what makes studying theology unique, that we really can, into it's transformative. It, it, can, it has the possibility to transform us, to change our worldview, okay? And that can happen um, in a deeper way when you use this method of theological reflection, all right? To always take a situation, uh, whether it's a joyful situation or if it's, um, if it's a trial, and if you stop and you think about it by looking at it through the lens of theology, the theology that you have um, studied and that we know associated with our faith. It will put you in touch with your own religious journey, all right? Basically, in this course, part of it is taking a religious journey, all right? Um, and at the same time, help you to develop your ministerial skills, okay? It will help you grow in self-knowledge. Doing an integration paper, and you're going to be doing three of them, is going to really help you uh, to look at your, your own personal life, your ministerial life. Um, it, it's definitely going to um, aid you in your growth in self-knowledge and certainly, hopefully, in wisdom, okay? It will help you to not only understand theology, but to put it into practice in a meaningful way. So this method that I'm describing to you that you're going to uh, put into practice to write these uh, reflection papers is basically, uh, as you will see, um, when we get into the, the meat of our topic tonight, um, is really what this course is all about. All right, any questions? You all good? All right, I'm trusting you here. Um, these are your required texts, um, two required texts, and then you can see on your um, syllabus there is a bibliography, um, and this is just suggested stuff that I will mention along the way. Some of it might pique your interest. Uh, depending on your circumstance um, in your in your life and in your parish. But basically, um, I chose these two books, and you'll see why in a minute, but uh, Pope Francis, The Joy of the Gospel, and then Kathleen Cahalan, in Introducing the Practice of Ministry. And here, this is a description of The Joy of the Gospel. Uh, this is a document that sets the context for our study of pastoral theology, all right? Um, in other words, the church of today is the church of Pope Francis. So we want to take the thought of Pope Francis, and that's what we're going to relate to as we talk about ministry. And in this um, document, which is an exhortation, actually, uh, and an exhortation, um, in case you're not sure what it is, is a pope's report on uh, a synod, for example. So this is basically Pope Francis's um, report on evangelization for our time. It's taking a new look at evangelization. Um, paragraph one says, with Christ, joy is constantly born anew. 
And that goes in line with what I said before. Even here we are smack in the middle of a pandemic that has its ups and downs and we're maybe in an up, I don't know, um, from the news, but I hate to look at the news. Um, but um, with Christ, joy is born anew. And we, that's what I meant when we can find some kind of meaning for our own lives in this. Um, in this exhortation, uh, he says, I wish to encourage the Christian faithful to embark upon a new chapter of evangelization. Um, we've heard about evangelization for years and years and years, uh, but Pope Francis is looking at it through a different lens. Uh, and that's what we read about in the joy of the gospel. So this new chapter of evangelization marked by this joy while pointing out new paths for the church's journey for the years to come. I think this just a piece of trivia here that uh, I think is worth saying here. Um, the church, Rome just came out with a new directory for catechesis just a few months ago, all right? And this is a general directory. We'll talk more about this when we talk about catechetical ministry. But the point I want to make here, this is for the whole world from Rome. And this new directory for catechesis that is across the board from very young to very old, no matter, for all ministries, how we're teaching, but it's based on the joy of the gospel. Everything that's in here about how we teach our faith on every level is based on uh, Pope Francis's joy of the gospel. So that's an important connection. And I haven't even gotten through the whole thing yet. I'm doing a, a, a study of it. Um, but by the time we get to that section, I promise you that I will have gotten through it. All right? So that's your one text that I want you to definitely read. Okay? The second, uh, this book, Introducing the Practice of Ministry. Um, this text is for students of ministry, and you're all students of ministry. It looks at the practice of ministry as a vocation. And this is important for everyone, whether you're a priest, a deacon, or a layman man or woman, all right, that there are people that have a vocation to ministry and I am one of them I have worked for the church for over professionally for over 30 years probably close to 35 years um, and I consider what I do um, uh, and what I have done to be a vocation within a vocation because I'm also married um, so this book is looking at ministry as a vocation and a profession in the contemporary world, all right? And the author is looking at ministry within the context of discipleship. So basically what it's getting at, and we will talk about this as we move on, um, that it, it boils down to baptism, all right? That through baptism we're disciples and how do we live out this discipleship and what she is saying that some people are called to ministry, all right? So those are your two texts, these two books that you must read. And um, I'm not assigning certain chapters here or there. What I basically want you to do is just uh, read them through.
throughout the course um, because you're going to need to be uh, reading them um, to do your integration papers. Um, so just, you know, pick it up, start at chapter one and just read through. Um, as you, I believe as grad students, you should always be reading. Um, so these two books are the books that you're going to be reading. Okay. But I, I don't have it set up that for this week, you're going to read chapter one. Um, as we go along, I might, uh, reference a certain pages or chapters in the book. Uh, and then you will know that, okay, I should have read that or it's often helpful and it depends. Like I said in the beginning, everybody has their own good order, but I find it helpful to read after I've heard a lecture or heard a class. Um, because if I've read it before, after a class in my own personal experience of being a student, I usually go back and read it again because then it makes more sense. So again, I leave it up to you. I mean, if you want to take a weekend and read the whole joy of the gospel, be my guest. But then you might need to go back to certain paragraphs um, within the context of a particular class. All right. Um, ultimately, this is the goal here. Uh, the class format certainly will be lecture. I have something to say. <laughs> I have a lot to say, uh, but I also want to have some student participation because um, this class I think you will find is very different than um, your other courses that you have taken for your uh, in the MA theology program uh, because as I said before it's it's a pastoral course and I'm a pastoral theologian which means that my area of study has been um, to integrate theology and practice. Um, so we need to have some interaction. We need to be thinking of real things that happen. Um, I will, with every class, you will notice that I will bring up um, actual, I'm just watching the time, uh, that I will bring up actual um, examples of things that have happened in parish. Now, I apologize, but I made you all introduce yourself and I didn't give a formal introduction of myself. Um, and I know some of you don't know me that well, but here I will tell you that um, this is my ninth year at the seminary. Uh, prior to that time, I did work at Fordham University in administration and curriculum development. I, at the School of Religion, I, I taught theology online at St. Joseph's College in Maine, but my main um, um, profession was as a pastoral minister. I was in pastoral ministry in the Diocese of Rockville Center for 22 years. Um, I have a lot of pastoral experience, um, and that's why I'm the one that teaches these classes because I can, um, I can help you to integrate the theology and the practice. And I will tell you that any example I use will be something that is real. And uh, usually when a student in this class asks a question, I can answer it 
with something from my experience. So I have a lot of uh, pastoral experience. I worked with, um, I worked at the Cathedral Parish in Rockville Center. I worked with hand in hand with five bishops um, and I think four rectors and many pastors. I, I taught Catholic school teachers how to teach religion in Catholic schools. I trained thousands of catechists. I once did the math, but um, I have uh, taught and mentored people through pastoral ministry programs. So um, I, ha I have a lot uh, to offer you, I think, in this class um, from my own experience. But that being said, the goal here, because I'm also an educator, okay? Um, the goal is to move from knowledge to understanding. It's one thing to know Christology, and I'm using that as an example because I think everybody here studied Christology, I think. Maybe Bill hasn't yet, but that's okay. Um, but it's one thing to know Christology or to know liturgy, but it's another thing to deeply understand it and be able to put it into practice in ministry, all right? And I say that out of my own experience, all right? And hopefully that by the end of this course, you will know how to put the knowledge that you have into good practice, okay? Um, so, any questions? You sure? Yeah? Teacher? Yes. This is Daniel. 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 Yes, how are you? Good. Go ahead, Daniel. Just for my situation. Uh, my, I understand the class is only in English. Well, my first language is Spanish. I know that. It's possible. It's possible. You recommend me one book similar in Spanish. Ah, I, I yes, I will. I promise you that before we meet next week, I will check it out. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so much. Yes. Yes, uh, because that will be a big help to you. Okay, right? thank you. But Excellent. also, also, Daniel, I think it's important that you try to read the English as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But if you had both. I mean, yes. I, ideally, and I don't know if uh, sometimes these publishers do publish in Spanish. Okay. Uh, but I don't know if this one is, but I will try to find a counterpart uh, to okay. it. So I then you, you could have both. Okay, this, this is in Spanish. Exactly. Like See, I, I, yeah, Spanish. good, good. That, that'll okay. be very helpful to <laughs> okay. you. Okay. No, Thank good. You know. uh, good, Daniel. Thank Anybody? you so much. That's, thank you for asking that. Okay. Um, anybody else, a question about the, um, the class, the syllabus, anything? It all makes perfect sense? Uh, just one question on a due date. Okay. The syllabus says for the final assessment, May 5th, but the handout says May 6th. I didn't... Uh, yeah, I think it's May 5th. Okay. See, I didn't do a good job editing, did I? Oh, okay. Uh, I'll tell you in a minute. It is the fifth. 
Thank you, Stephen. Um, you know, I, I edited this, but I didn't do a good job. But thank you for that. So it is the fifth because we meet on Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, as you looked at the syllabus, um, um, I think uh, all the dates are correct. Um, as far as the assignments, I have it down, like, for example, February 10th. Uh, the first integration paper is due. Now, this is my, I'm flexible, and some of you have heard me say, and I borrow this from a priest I had as a teacher who once said, there is faith, hope, and love, and in the end, there's flexibility. <laughs> and I always thought that was a terrific statement. And so, Again, most of you know me pretty well. I am flexible. However, my viewpoint as a teacher with assignments in a class is that you should do your best to get them in on time. And the reason why I say that is because in life and in our jobs, we have deadlines to meet. And part of learning is to figure out how can I get that paper done by this day? And um, Jim, me, and you'll hear me talk about this in the thesis seminar, it's establishing your own good order, meaning your own organization skills, how you organize, because I also know you're taking another class, and you, you work, and you have so many things going on, but I think part of education is looking at what you have to do and figuring out how you're going to do it. And again, I speak from experience. I did the MA in theology when I was young, um, married with a part-time job and three small children. I did it. Um, I, I did, that's how I did my graduate uh, work. I finished my bachelor's uh, prior to that well, I was married and I graduated pregnant with my third child. So it took me nine years to get a bachelor's. All right. And then I went to the seminary, uh, three small children. I did my doctoral studies over four years while working full time for the Diocese of Rockville Center. So, so I speak from experience that there is a way to do this, but you need to organize yourself well. And so what I'm saying um, is look at the date tonight when your first integration paper is due and, and start to, uh, even after one class, just start to highlight in your notebook or however on your computer, however you do it, some thoughts that strike you. Um, and then by February 10th, you'll be able to put together this short integration paper, all right? But my point here is you're gonna to start to think about it at 9.30 tonight. Can you see what I'm saying? Okay, so, but, as a, so that's important. Deadlines are important. If I have a deadline of, I do writing for publishing companies. They give me a deadline to write an article, let's say, for um, a publication. If I don't get that article in on time, you know, they'll, they'll say they'll pay me $100, well, they reduce it by $25 if it's not in on time. 
to the, you know, deadlines are important, is my point. However, if life happens, if you have a, an emergency or to, you know, you have any circumstance where you feel you cannot get an assignment into me, all I ask is you communicate it to me. Send me an email. That's all. Just saying, I can't get it in on the 10th, but I can get it in on the 11th or the 17th. And I, 99% of the time, I'm going to say, of course. And I say this because sadly, in our program, we had a student who was just dismissed from our program because of no communication with me or his professors and that it ended up not turning in assignments. All he needed to do, with all due respect, you know, this is not a judgment, it's an observation. That's my mantra. You will hear me say it a lot. Um, all he had to do was communicate, you know, whatever his issue was, um, but he didn't. And it ended up uh, poorly for him. I mean, we're adults and our goal in our school is to help everybody succeed. And, um, but, you know, the ideal, uh, I, I'm a person of the ideal. So the ideal is to try to get that assignment in when it's due. But if you can't, you let me know. All right. But I don't want you, what I don't want you to do is say, oh, I don't have to get, think about that now. I want you to always be thinking about it. Does that make sense? That it makes sense? Okay. Yes. That's great. So. Uh, we're going to move on, but I'm going to give it, it's 8.06, so before we get into kind of the meat of tonight's lesson, uh, we've basically been doing some boring stuff going through um, uh, the syllabus, etc. But I'm going to give you a break, it's 8.06. Uh, I don't know what your other professors do, but I think 10 minutes is enough, do you? Yeah, All right, 10 minutes, good. get up and stretch. So um, I'll see you in 10 minutes, 8.16-ish. And we'll come back and we'll dive into the meaning of pastoral theology. Okay. See you in a little bit. What I'm going to get, again, this is very introductory, but it's setting, um, it's setting the stage for what we're doing looking at pastoral ministry, because that's the core of what this course is about. But we need to look at it in relationship to theology. So there's a lot of um, different uh, uh, terms that we use, and you see them up on the screen. Pastoral studies, I mentioned that before, that we used to have a Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies. That's where this course was actually born in that degree program. So pastoral studies. Another term we use is pastoral theology. I mentioned that I'm a pastoral theologian. And then the other term that we hear in academic circles is practical theology. They're using that term a lot at Fordham University at the School of Religion now. Uh, that's where I did my doctoral work, and there's a new dean there that is really emphasizing this idea of practical theology. But I, I'm going to talk about this 
Uh, and this is just, um, uh, it's important for you to know that this exists and it kind of sets the context for what we're doing and then I'll give you the language that we're going to use here. But according to the new dictionary of pastoral studies, pastoral studies is a discipline which is a subset of pastoral theology. In other words, pastoral studies is part of a wider activity. And in this case, the wider activity is pastoral theology. All right, so that's the broader term and pastoral studies falls under it, according to the new dictionary of pastoral studies. I've done my research through the years with this. But the term pastoral studies is most, oops, sorry. The pa term pastoral studies is mostly used in the UK. In the United States, uh, in a university or a seminary or in a college, we use the term pastoral theology, according to the research, okay? Now, some uh, characteristics of um, pastoral studies. It's comprehensive, okay? Um, it integrates theology with general principles and effective practice of pastoral ministry. That's basically what I talked about as we did the review of the syllabus and a little of introduction. It prepares students to serve competently and effectively in ministry. And this is key. Um, I have been on a mission for over 30 years that ministers in our church, ordained and not ordained, serve competently and effectively. Because again, and this is not a judgment, it's an observation, there are a lot of people out there working very hard at the wrong thing. And part of the goal of this course is to teach you the right thing. And by the right thing, I mean, regarding ministry, what is the vision of the church? All right, whether it be liturgical ministry, whether it be catechetical ministry, social ministry, you name it, the church has a vision. But sadly, um, our church, uh, and I say this openly, has settled over the years for mediocrity. And we, we, we shouldn't stand for that. And I've heard uh, the Bridgeport Bishop, Bishop Caggiano, uh, no, Bishop Barris has said that. Bishop Barris, uh, Bishop of Rockville Center, has said that publicly at our seminary. Uh, Bishop Caggiano, because the bishops all come up and visit the seminary to the, talk to the seminarians. Bishop Caggiano has said, what we are doing doesn't work and we need to think outside of the box. And that's, again, what I hope to do in this course because of this statement here that I'm saying is key. We need to have students who are prepared to serve competently and effectively. Because again, and I don't wanna get on a rampage, 
But in many circumstances, and I know a lot of the people will jump on me and say, well, it's economical. But they are expecting volunteers or untrained people or unprofessional people to do these jobs in ministry. And that is unacceptable. When I, when I was an MA student um, back in the 80s into the 90s, I would not have been hired in a parish here in the Diocese of Rockville Center without a master's degree. That is not the case any longer across the country. 50% of people hired in parishes to do professional work, 50%, I think is the statistic, are not really trained to do it competently and effectively. And this is something that, in my, this is a mission that I had that we change that mindset. Um, and there are documents uh, that talk about that, uh, but that's for another course, okay? Uh, we want to focus here on these terms, pastoral studies, pastoral theology, etc. Uh, so the goal of this study is to understand ministry in the Roman Catholic Church. And again, how to do ministry effectively and competently. Okay? That, that's a big deal to me. Um, as an academic study, um, it's a theological discipline with a focus on the concern for pastoral care. That's another word um, that um, in ministry, that's what we're about, pastoral care, taking care of people's needs in and through various ministries, okay? Uh, care of the church, care of the people, because the people are the church. And again, pastoral practice, how we do things. And you're going to notice in this course that before we can talk about how we do something, whether it be catechetical ministry, liturgical ministry, you name it, uh, we have to understand what is it. And by what is it, I mean what is the vision of the church okay and again i know this through experience because i used to teach catholic school teachers how to teach religion and basically um when uh, i would gather then when they would come and we would gather right away they wanted well how do you do it and i used to say no we have to take a step back and we first have to talk about what is it that you're doing you have to understand uh, what it means to pass on the faith first. Then we can talk about, well, how is, what is the most effective way to do it? How do you do it? You see? So those are things that are involved here. Pastoral studies is concerned with the skills and practices that are involved in working with people. It's directed at those offering pastoral care, clergy and other professional practitioners. Okay, like for example, the director of religious education, the director of sacred music, um, etc. Okay, you good? Don't be shy. Ask questions if you want. But again, this is this is very introductory. But I want you to just understand the language. The words we use are so important. Um, okay. So, pastoral theology is how theology is expressed. 
And again, remember, this is the term we use in the United States, all right? Um, more or less, if you were to explore uh, universities, uh, theological schools, etc. So pastoral theology, which is what this course is about, uh, but we are focusing on ministry, uh, is how theology is expressed. It creates a dialogue between working out faith in the life of the world with our understanding of God. This is what I was talking about before, about before when I said our worldview is influenced by our study of theology, by our understanding of our faith, by our understanding of God. We will look at things like the pandemic, for example, differently than somebody that's not looking at through the lens of faith or theology. You see? Okay. Um, this is important. Pastoral theology is contextual education, meaning that the ministry setting becomes the learning site. That's why we've got to have some dialogue in this class. As we, as we move forward, as the weeks move on, and we're talking about specific topics, for example, as we're talking about, when we uh, talk about uh, starting in February, we're gonna talk about the sacraments. We're gonna talk about mission and evangelization, um, things like that. We're gonna talk about parishes. We're gonna talk about parish leadership. Um, and then we'll talk about different liturgy, uh, different um, ministries. But this is where our dialogue is going to become important. And you're going to, I mean, judging uh, on this class in the past, people brought up real things that happened in their parish in relationship to what I'm talking about and trying to teach you about what the church his vision is for a particular ministry. Um, so in other words, the parish setting is gonna become the learning site uh, to, the, to a certain extent, you see? Because you're going to have to um, take what we're doing in class, but you're also going to have to be looking at, well, what are we doing in our parish? And perhaps, how can we do it better in our parish, you see? So for those engaged in ministry, which is all of you, be attentive to your experience. And it's that experience that you have in the parish that you're gonna put into those integration papers. You see? Um, um, let what you do teach you, you know? Uh, for better or for worse, you know? Um, let what you do teach you, you know? I, I learned to be um, uh, what I think is a good um, minister in a parish by seeing um, ministry carried out perhaps not in an ideal way. I, I saw what others were doing and I thought, that's not quite how I think it should be done according to what I know about the vision of the church. Um, so you're gonna, I think you're going to see a lot of that only because I know from teaching this course several times uh, that's, I will explain, for example, 
the vision of the church for a particular ministry. And some of the students will say, I never heard of such a thing. I've never seen it, you know? But the thing is, it's not going to be the ideal in every parish. And I, and I understand that. However, as graduate students, as future deacons, as, as ministers in the church, we need to know what is the ideal and we should want to reach the ideal in our parishes, no matter how long it takes. I, I used to have a joke. I stayed in a parish that I worked in for 22 years and I used to say, that's how long it took to get to the ideal because we went step by step by step to, to help um, engage people and teach people of what parish life should look like according to, again, the vision of the church. Not to sound like a broken record, but that's, that's it. And I think we're at a really crucial time in our church. Um, you know, uh, and others would agree with me. That's something else. Let me just give a little footnote here. What, what we're doing in this class is based on um, church documents, Second Vatican Council, uh, encyclicals, exhortations, Pope Francis's view. But because I've been involved for so long, I will offer my opinion in some cases, but if it's my opinion, I will tell you that it's my opinion, okay? For example, it's my opinion that the church settles for mediocrity, and we shouldn't, but that's my opinion, and my opinion is based on my experience, okay? Uh, and we can all have our opinions, but in the end, we need to look at what is the vision? What is the church telling us we should do in regard to ministry? So, in the Roman Catholic Church, pastoral theology is basically the theology and practice of pastoral ministry. We've said it already, okay? It's a broad term that refers to the theological training and practice of ministers, and it includes as I said before, liturgy, sacraments, preaching, teaching, counseling, etc. And there are several other things that you're going to bring to my attention that you are doing. Uh, there's, you know, a ministry to people in prisons. There's ministry to people in outside of the parish. There, there, it's endless to the the pastoral care that we can offer to people. And I'm going to learn from you as well, I hope, uh, some things that you're doing. Like, for example, uh, Bill Mayer, who works for um, uh, the Diocese of Brooklyn with media. That is so important in our time. Uh, communication of our faith um, on our networks um, and various other things. And hopefully, Bill, you'll talk to us more about that as we move forward. But that is such an important ministry um, because people, people, what, what do they have? Their phones, right? Their computers. And there's a lot that we can offer to people um, uh, in pastoral care right there. Okay? So to continue along these lines, 
the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, no, I already did that, right? Yes, I did. Okay, I get ahead of myself sometimes. Pastoral theology entails critical thinking. That's what I've been talking about. I want you to think about your experience in your parishes, no matter what it is that you're doing. And critical thinking, it doesn't mean to criticize. It means to look at it with a critical eye, to, to, to look at what is the reality, and then what do we do? And how do we do it? We, we need to look at it. It's about the study of practices and how we live our faith. And the aim is theological visioning. We have to have a vision. Without a vision, there's a saying, I don't know who said it, but I've heard it for years and years, without a vision, you die. And if we don't have a vision in our parishes, guess what? We're gonna be on maintenance mode. And that's not the way that we're gonna help people grow in their faith. And we will have, we will have a session on mission and mission statements and what that means for a parish. We'll talk about that, you know? Uh, some parishes do it better than others. Uh, but you're going to learn the ideal. I always want my students to know this is the ideal. This is what the church wants. And we're not going to get there overnight, but how do we take step one to get there? Okay? So theological visioning of present and future practices for the life of the parish. It's extremely important for the life of the church. And we can expand that and say, for the life of the world. Questions? Thoughts? Comments? Ideas? I have, I have, I guess, a comment or a thought. Um, how, do, how do you continue something like this if you have the pastors could change every you know, six years or 12 years, how does that, how does one individual continue it to flourish? Like you said, it took you 22 years in the parish you were in, but how many pastors did you have? And are they going to listen, excuse me, for a, a, lay, a lay person? Mm -hmm. uh, that's an excellent question. And it's a realistic question because we know, again, this is an observation and it's, it's the reality that when pastors change, uh, the vision often changes, you know, which is very difficult. So for example, if you are working in a parish with a pastor who has established a vision and then he leaves and somebody else comes in, it very often leads to, uh, you know, well, I have a different vision, you know? Um, so that is, that is a problem. It, it can be a problem. Um, it, from what I've experienced and heard from people. And very often it leads to people um, uh, leaving positions uh, in parishes uh, because of that. Um, a good pastor, uh, and I worked for five different pastors in my, and five different bishops in the, in the diocese. And a good pastor, and I know that in my diocese, 
colleagues in Rockville Center, they learn this in what they call pastor school, should never go into a parish and change anything for at least a year. Correct. Yeah. Yes, they should. They shouldn't. They should watch and wait. I remember when I had my interview for St. Joseph's for my uh, associate dean position, I was asked the question, if you were to be offered this position, okay, what will you do when you get here? And I said, I will watch what you're all doing and I will learn the culture here. That was the right answer because that's what I learned through ministry that you you do you know and then the hope and the ideal is with parishes that when uh, that all pastors would understand the vision of the church now we're working on that with our seminarians okay <laughs> we're working on that because if if they all ideally and I'm going to talk the ideal, and then we'll talk the practical. Ideally, if every uh, priest who becomes a pastor understands the vision, all right, it will not turn everything upside down. They will look at what's being done, and if it's not the ideal, and it probably isn't, but maybe a church got a, pa a parish got to a certain point, they will take you to the next step. So they will look at it for a year and then give some credit critical thinking and then hopefully collaboration, collaboration with the pastoral staff that doesn't always exist. And we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, because a pastor cannot work alone. And you will hear this in a session we have that a pastor should be leading from the center with, in collaboration with others and together working on a vision, um, a mission, a vision, and then how do we take the steps? That's the ideal. But I know it's not always the reality, uh, George. And that's why your question is so good. And uh, it can be very difficult for people, uh, particularly when things are working well and then somebody comes in and could uh, destroy it, right? Well, the, the experience that I was going through is our par my parish merged five, five years ago. Yes. Uh, and that was, was visitation and, and St. John's. And the pastor did exactly what you said. He took the a year off so to speak uh -huh. listened to to people um made a core group of both both sets of parishioners and then tried to um incorporate new ideas and new things and yet uh, that is currently working it is it is coming about right. on, on the end of his sixth term yeah he'll probably be reassigned but in looking at the you know what we're going over now i'm thinking okay so six years from now what's gonna happen like all the work that he's done to where we going and you know god willing if i'm still if i'm still there employed at the parish mm -hmm. is the new pastor gonna listen to you know a 60 plus year old deacon saying well this is how we do it you know yeah and that that I mean, that's a reality. Now, I know in the 
Diocese of Rockville Center, when a new pastor is going to come in, uh, they usually have like a town meeting um, with like um, the head of priest personnel, for example. And they want to hear from people. Well, what kind of a pastor do you need here? You know, so they kind of, you know, um, try to get some feedback. Because we're going to do, one of the classes we do is studying congregations. Because parishes are very different. We have upstate parishes. We have Manhattan parishes. We have, you know, uh, all kinds of parishes. All right? So, um, so... Everybody is going to perhaps have a different need, have a different need. And that is something that um, uh, needs to be looked at because it is very difficult. But I just want to say um, I worked for a pastor once. A new pastor came in. And uh, in the first year, as we collaborated and discussed, some of the other um laymen and women on our staff would say to him, well, we always did it that way. And he said, and he was terrific, uh, his ears must burn when I teach. Uh, sadly, he passed away last year, but still he's listening. He said to us all, and there were, it was a large parish, there were 19 of us on the pastoral staff, he said, in the kindest way, he said, nobody is ever allowed to say, we always did it that way. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because that's, again, we fall into a maintenance mode. Let's maintain instead of trying constantly to, de to develop. So that's a long way of answering your question, but it's a legitimate question and it's a good question. So keep that in mind, and that's good to reflect on that. You know, as, as you, that's what I mean. You're going to start to think tonight of reflection, of how am I going to think about integrating what we're learning in class, what I'm reading in the texts, the two texts, and what I'm experiencing in in parish or ministry life. Good. Anybody else? Have anything they want to say? I had a question, Dr. Eschenhauer. Yes, Victoria. I feel like I should know the answer, so I feel. No, like... go ahead. But what would be like the mission of the Roman Catholic Church? Like, like just the Roman Catholic Church in the general sense, in the broad term. In the, well, you know, um, it's it's a simple answer. The mission of the church is to know Jesus Christ. That's the simplest answer. And then when we look at different ministries, it's, well, how do we do that? How do we help people to know Jesus Christ intimately, to have an encounter with him through catechetical ministry, liturgical ministry, sacraments, etc., 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 you know, through social ministry. You know, when people come to us, when they've lost a job, um, social ministry is so important. And I try to fit in a session on it. Uh, and this year I took it off the syllabus and I just, um, last year I had to send it uh, to the students because we couldn't fit it in. But when people come to us, uh, to our outreach 
program, uh, outreach programs, losing a job, not being able to pay their bills, you know? How, how do we help them to, to know Jesus Christ in a situation like that? That is a mission and an important one. So that, I'm using an extreme example. But my point is, is that in everything that we do, the mission is to know Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Good. I love. See, this is what I want. We're all going to learn from each other. This is great. Anybody else want to say something? You good? It's a lot. I'm giving you a lot. Okay. So let me move on here. Um, let me just. Okay. Um, so, in the Catholic perspective, particularly, practical theology entails a reading of the signs of the times in light of the gospel. All right? In other words, that comes from Gaudium et Spes. That's the last document of the, sac of the Second Vatican Council, the Church in the Modern World. We need to look at our particular parishes and what is the um, experience of the people. That's what reading the signs of the time means. And every parish is different. So we need to be aware of that. And again, we'll have a session on studying congregations. Um, and um, there's an integration paper due, and I probably will ask you to, and you have the option, but do a Talk about your parish. Do a study of your parish, you know, and that will be based on things that you'll you'll learn in in class. Uh, but for now, right away, starting tomorrow, you can start to think about it. You know, looking at your parish objectively. You know, we all love our parishes, but let's let's look at it. You know, systematically from a different point of view. So reading the signs of the times. Engagement and discerning interpretation of our contemporary experiences along with theology. So again, I've just been saying in different language what we're trying to do here, integrate theology with practice. Okay, does that make sense? And then I have it highlighted in red, how we put our knowledge of theology into practice. Now I'm gonna give you a very practical example, okay? Um, and this comes from my own experience as well, all right? You could study liturgy, uh, and I know uh, none of you have taken the liturgy course yet, all right? But you will, and you're going to learn terrific stuff about liturgy. It's the most exciting thing in the world. I, that was my main area of study. Uh, for my graduate and postgraduate work, liturgy. But in a parish setting, there are many people that have studied liturgy, but they don't know how to prepare a sacrament. For example, First Communion liturgy. Okay? I wrote a book about it, <laughs> preparing uh, First Communion liturgies, because in my experience, people didn't know how to do it. All right? And it was kind of just kind of a pet peeve of mine. 
Um, so that's what I mean uh, by that. How do we put our knowledge into good practice? Um, all right. Another example uh, that I had written down here is regarding catechetical ministry. And I know, George, uh, you work in catechetical ministry, right? Um, there's been there's been a call to renew catechesis since uh, the Second Vatican Council. So there's been a call in our church to renew catechesis over and over. And in many cases, this has not been taken seriously. Um, and we're going to address that as well. The church has a clear vision of what catechesis means. And in most cases, it's ignored. And we have documents and people who are working with all due respect, this is an observation, not a judgment. People who are working in catechetical ministry have never read the documents and I've taught some of them. And they're shocked that we have these documents, but it's very important because then we're not going, then we're not, we're going to fall into what well, we always did it this way instead of trying to embrace um, the way that the church visions it, all right? So, and we'll look at that. And what I will do along um, in this course is, um, I will be introducing you along the way to the various documents. Not that you have to study them and memorize them, but I want you to be aware of them. Because anybody in ministry, diaconate ministry, lay ecclesial ministry, ordained priesthood, whatever it is, you need to know the documents that exist and where to find the answers. To me, that's vitally important, you know, to know why does the church say this about catechetical ministry? Why does the church say this about music ministry? Etc. Etc. You see, but so you're going to along the lines. I'll introduce you to the various uh, documents uh, that are out there, and that you will know about them. All right. Uh, and to me, that's um, uh, that's key. That you know, and you know where to find the answers. As a good leader in a parish um, would. I know when I worked in my last parish. I, this is something that I've made, it's been a passion of mine to really understand the church's vision. I was the go-to person. Um, people were very upfront, well, let's go. She's gonna know, where do we find the answer? And this goes for, uh, for priests and laymen and women who I worked with, you know, because I, I, it, it was just known that I, I made this something I wanted to do. Where do you go? Somebody once that I worked with, a delightful priest, asked a, pick, a question about confirmation. I said, well, let's look at the rite of confirmation. He said, oh, what a great idea. The answer is right there in the official rite book of the church. You see? So we need to know that, and we need to know what's available. I don't know if you can see uh, the behind me. You see the bookcases? This is my home office. That's 35 years of reading and I've read every book and I continue and I go over it and over it. I've got a section on uh, catechesis, on liturgy, on theology, 
on the right of Christian initiation of adults. I've got sections on everything uh, here. Um, but um, it's, it, it's, I know where to go. And I always say to students, I don't always know the answer, but I know where to find it. So that's something as pastoral ministers, leaders in the church, I think have an obligation uh, to that. So how do we put knowledge of theology into practice? You have to know theology. Good theology leads to good practice. All right? All right, let's see if I could wrap this up. So, integration, theology and practice. This requires what I like to call deep learning. Not surface learning. It's deep learning. Now, knowledge becomes an active part of how we think about the world we see. Serves the life of the church and in turn, I believe, serves the life of the world. Because if we change hearts one at a time in the parishes that we work in, we change the world, right? And the context is going to be Pope Francis's vision of the church because he's the vicar of Christ on earth and we have his vision and that's why we're using the joy of the gospel. But when I talk about deep learning, this is what I expect. I'm gonna show you something, give me a minute. Deep learning requires deep reading. So when you're reading your textbooks, I don't know if you can see this if I hold it up. This is what a book that I read looks like. Can you see that? You see it? No. Do you see the highlighting and the writing? In the book, you're going to read, you're going to highlight, you're going to write notes of things that strike you when you're reading through these texts. So deep learning requires deep reading, not surface reading, okay? And then finally, um, a note about learning. Um, learning is transformative. It's soul-shaping. It's a process, all right? We have 14 weeks approximately together to go through this uh, course on pastoral ministry, and it's gonna all be a process that's going to unfold over time, that you will understand um, pastoral ministry in a better way than you do tonight. You, I'm sure you have an understanding of it, but I guarantee you'll have a better understanding of it by the end of this semester. But it's a process that's going to unfold. Uh, learning is meaningful. Everything that you learn in this program is meaningful. It's meaningful to your, to your studies. It's meaningful to your life. It's meaningful to, your, to the church. And then ultimately for the world. And it's an unrealized need. And that's what I was talking about before, that we have far too many people in our church that don't feel that they need to learn theology in a systematic way. Again, good theology leads to good practice. Um, that's my experience. That's what I believe. Um, that's what the church says in many of its documents on ministry. 
uh, that you can't, nobody should be going in and making it up. Okay, uh, I know that sounds a little, but it's true. Uh, we have a lot of people working very hard at the wrong thing, and that shouldn't happen. Uh, thoughts, questions, um, comments, confusion, anything before we, uh, we're going to end early tonight. I promise you, I can guarantee you, uh, the rest of the semester will never end before <laughs> this early. But uh, anything that doesn't make sense to you, that you're wondering about. Dr. Eschenauer? Yes. Getting to know the church. One of the things we have, um, what, uh, seven masses a weekend, a weekend for Sunday. And it seems like there's almost a different spirit with each one of those masses. People tend to go to a specific mass or two. Usually uh -huh. within the you know the same time frame, right? And they seem to be all different people if you if you kind of sit back and study it almost. So with that wide of a you know spectrum of time on a weekend, would you just if I'm supposed to sort of just observe, just observe the masses I go to, or should I just sort of start going to all of them and try to see what what that is? Does that make sense? I think it does. I think I, and I definitely know what you're talking about. I mean, in the parish where I go, uh, there is a different, you know, I get a different sense from different masses. And I think it's a good idea to experience it all and try to figure it out. You know, uh, some parishes do that deliberately, you know, musically, for example, you know, um, some parishes, uh, parish where my husband works, they have a folk group at one mass. Uh, my husband is a church musician. He plays the organ. At another mass, they have organ, choir, you know. So um, there, is a, there is a difference. Uh, so I think it's a good idea for you to, to study your parish and to, to look at it. Absolutely. Does that help you in any way? And then, I, didn't know, okay, I didn't know if you wanted to be more my my specific, you know, group that I seem to travel with or mm -hmm. to be more broad. That's what I was asking. Well, I think as a future deacon, I think it's a good idea to, to understand the, the whole parish yeah. and then try to figure out, well, what is it that makes it different? You know, that's what I call studying congregations. You know, sociologists, uh, the book that I'll refer to when we do that session is written by a sociologist, actually. Uh, you know, uh, that, you know, congregations are different. And what is it that makes them different? No, it's a good, it's, it's good. But I, I would say, um, I did that when I first worked at um, my last parish that I worked in. I did that. I went to all the different masses. Uh, just to learn, uh, you know, what it was like, definitely. Anybody else have a thought or a comment? Question. Dr. Eschenauer, for the integration papers, is there a, spe uh -huh. is there a specific, specific format that you want? Or is it just basically our three pages of our thoughts and 
what we think? Um, uh, yes. Um, that's what I'm looking for. But what you think, um, it must be related to the course material, what we're talking about in class, or and or what you're reading. Um, I want to see a connection that um, what you think or what you more what you experience um, in your parish or in your personal life that it's connected somehow with the course material and what you're reading. Um, just as an aside, in my experience, the first integration paper that people in this class have done is mostly uh, telling me um, about what they're doing in their parish. You know, it's almost like I'm, I learn about you from your first integration paper or in your ministry. I shouldn't always say parish, you know, and I'm particularly thinking of Bill, whose ministry is, you know, the media. That's so vitally important. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, just um, be so narrow thinking in your parish, but in your ministry, whatever it is. You know, so um, uh, so the, Anthony, to answer your question, what I'm looking for is that, you know, it's just not you going on giving me your thoughts, but you're connecting them with something that you read in Pope Francis or in the other, or something that I even introduce you to in class, you know, and connecting it with something in your personal experience, faith experience or with something uh, in the practice of ministry. Does that help you a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking more along the lines, meaning to structure the paper in sort of a, like an introduction, a discussion and a conclusion type of thing, but. Well, oh, sure. Well, any paper should do that. You know, that in your introduction, you're going to basically tell me, the reader, what you're going to focus on. And then you're going to focus on it, and then you're going to conclude it. Uh, any paper would do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank sure. you. So, so, so therefore, Dr. Eschenauer, in those papers, along those lines, and you did mention this earlier as to form, <laughs> You would want to see footnotes whenever we're citing something from from the materials. Yes. And would you wish to see a bibliography, or we're not going that far into it? I, would I, I wouldn't go that far. But if you're quoting, because it's not a research paper, but if you're quoting, say, from Pope Francis, Joy of the Gospel, if you're quoting, make a quote. You footnote it. Okay. Even, and, even though it's not a research paper, you need to do that. And because of the nature of the paper, then I think. It, uh, it would not be inappropriate, therefore, to use the, the, uh, the first person from time to time? Correct. Okay. Yes, because in a research paper, you wouldn't. Right. But in this kind of a paper, you can. Okay. Yes, very Thank good. You. You're very welcome. Very good. Yeah, very good. Yeah. It's because we are on the topic of the papers. Uh-huh. Will we first be getting more... Um, like, I would like your first paper to be this, or is this already like our notice that we have a paper due and you hope for us to integrate the material? Exactly. I'm not going to tell you what to write in the papers. Okay. You're, you're, you're the boss of what you're going to write. <laughs> you're you're going to pick up, pick out something that you want to reflect on. Okay. Yeah. And 
and in terms yep. of formatting, let's say we mentioned something that you said. Uh-huh. How would I... Should Don't I, put, uh, I, I am against footnoting the teacher. But you, but because and students do that, and I'm like, no, uh, don't do that. Uh, what what I would say, as we discussed in class, okay, that's how you would say that. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to quote me. That would be like in your notes. You know, um, if you read one of my books, I don't think I have any of my books. Maybe I have. I don't know. But if you quote, that's different. But if it's something from your class notes, just say as we discussed in class. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, so Dr. Eschenauer, for example, you know, this is a very rich book, The Joy of the Gospel. So yeah. It could actually be, you know, maybe how a scripture passage um, that we're reading in the book has how we c can connect it to our ministry in our parish, such as being a reader or mm. a teaching religion, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe, you know, working the midnight run, something like that. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Yep. Be free with it. I want you to be free with it, but I want, um, what I'm looking for is that you're reading, you're listening, and you're connecting it mm -hmm. with, with, with your life, with your ministry. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. Good. Very good question, Stephen. Good. All right. You know, um, we did a lot tonight, even though it was introductory. And remember, it was very broad. It was very broad tonight. And next week, we'll we'll focus in a little bit more. But uh, don't get so hung up on the papers. I want you to be thinking about it. And when you, as you're reading Pope Francis you know um highlight and mark you know the book however you want or uh, make a note um make a separate note uh, almost like a journal type thing outside of your notes for class that might be more in line with this idea of integrating oh i have this thought put it in a separate file on your computer and you'll see by the time you have to write your first integration paper that you have all these thoughts from your reading or from your class notes. You know, I can guarantee that it's, it's going to be easier than you think. Okay? You're good? All right. Last chance. Any questions? Um, before next week, when we meet again, if you have any questions, please email me. If you have any doubts or any anything about the course, please feel free to email me. Communication is really important. I welcome it. Okay, and you will and those of you who know me, you know that within 24 hours or less I will get back to you. Okay? It's going to be good. <laughs> And you'll send us the notes before class? Yes, that's that's the hope, that's the vision, that's the dream, that you will always have the notes yeah. before, um, at least by uh, the night before, um, because I know you're working and everything like that. So my on my, on my to-do list is always Tuesday night, post the notes. All right? So um, we end tonight um, very 
grateful and thankful to God for giving us this time together. And we pray that we will grow in our relationship with each other and that specifically that we will grow in our understanding of ministry. And so we end tonight, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Have a very good week. You too. Stay safe and stay healthy. Okay, you too. All right, feel good, everybody. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks. 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 All right, I'll see some of you tomorrow night. Uh, have a good night, everybody. Not tomorrow night, next week. Next. Chris, Chris and Jim, I'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs>